that song that Anita led uh, us in earlier about David. Uh, I actually have not heard that song before. Yeah! What? Um, now, it is, it is possible that when I was in, you know, fourth grade, preschool, Sunday school, maybe we sang it, I don't remember it. Um, but in, in, in preparing for today's sermon, I, I heard about that song, I read about that song, and, uh, and how, you know, we had a pretty tame singing of it, but, you know, kids would stand up and do that round and around, that part, and round and around, and they'd be run, spinning around and around, and everyone's spinning around and around, and, and just imagining, slinging that stone, and sometimes we're like, yeah, I want to I wanna be like that. I want to I sling that stone. I want to face the giant. Uh, then, there's, then there's times when we want someone else to face the giant. <laughs> um, there, there are plenty of situations where we, where we think, okay, this is time to put kids' songs aside, and I don't want to go on anymore by myself. Um, I don't want to be alone in this. I need the right man. I need the right woman. I need someone to come in and to help me. Uh, maybe you can think of an intense situation that that you've been in where you needed the right person to come along. I remember, I think I've told you this story um, before, uh, when I was a seminary student doing um, a class in hospital chaplaincy. Think of our bro- brother Paul when I go through this story. Just as seminary students going into, I can't remember if it was like an ER or. It, maybe it was it was maybe it was a, a family consultation. I can't remember where it was. I just remember it was full of crying and just family members just crumbling. And me and a few other students are like, "Okay, what do we do?" And then the the chaplain who was leading our class steps in, and I've never seen um, someone's presence change the the dynamic in a room like she was able to do. She was the right woman for the job. She just came in and whoosh, it was like this peace just flooded the room. Just, just always remember that. Sometimes we're, we're ready for the, we need that right person, the right man, the right woman, come in, the right person to come in and, and save the day and rescue. And that is the lead-in to our story today. If you brought your Bible, I hope you did, turn to 1 Samuel 17. Um, We're going to read most of this chapter, so sit back and and relax. Hopefully you can have that that Bible in front of you as we read. Um, If you don't, you might be able to find a Bible in a chair in front of you, or sit and listen. Um, So quite a a few verses that we're going to read this morning, but um, this is, perhaps, worldwide today, the most well-known story in the Bible. Uh, starting at the beginning. Now the Philistines, these are the enemies of the Israelites, gathered their forces for war 
and assembled at Soko in Judah, the land of the Israelites. They pitch camp. Some specific places or names that we know. This is a real story. This isn't made up. They pitched camp at Ephes Damin between Soko and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle lines to meet the Philistines. Now, the Philistines occupied one hill, Israelites on another hill, with the valley in between them. So just picture that. Two armies opposing one another, but they're not right up face to face. There's this valley in between. And a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp, and his height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor, a bronze weighing five thousand shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back, and his spear shaft was like a weaver's rod from what I can tell about weaver's rods. They were really thick, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield-bearer went ahead of him. And Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I ever come here and kill him, then you will become our subjects and serve us. And the Philistines said, said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and they were terrified. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. Firstborn was Eliab, the second, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For forty days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry on to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. There was Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left his flock in the care of the shepherd, loaded up and set out, as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with a keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled 
from him in great fear. Now the Israelites have been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And they repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. And when Eliab, David's older brother, heard him speaking with him, with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And why did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same manner. And the man answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it. I rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, and I killed both the, I killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. And the Lord, who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put on his coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword and the tunic and tried to walk around because he was not used to them. Oh, I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. And he took his staff in his hand. He chose five smooth stones from the stream and put in the pouch of a shepherd's bag. And with a sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield-bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. And he looked David over and saw that he was a little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh over to the birds and to the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword, spear, javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down, and I'll cut off your head this very day. I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear 
that the Lord saves for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. And as the Philistines moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him, and reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it. He struck the Philistine on the forehead, and the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. So David ran over, stood over him. He took the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. And after he killed him, he cut off his head with that sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. And then the men of Israel and Judah surged toward, surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. And their dead were strewn along the Sherim road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. They plundered their camp. First thing to notice, uh, did you see that this conflict between the Israelites and the Philistines took place in Judah? This wasn't out in the no-man's land. The, the Philistines were, they were encroaching on Israelite territory. What gave them the boldness to do that? Well, certainly, Goliath had to do with that. Now, hey, we've got a champion. Let's go take Judah. We got him this time. So they're moving in, Israelite land for the kill. And, of course, Goliath comes taunting the Israelites. His message um, communicated a near-impossible situation. So Israelites, they see their, their land being invaded. And, yes, nine, over nine-foot-tall Goliath is, is taunting. Twice a day, 40 days, the Israelite army with his near-impossible situation, send someone down into this valley and fight me. And the Israelites knew, okay, well, whoever's going down in that valley is probably not making that alive. Probably will not win that battle. So one of the keys to really understand the story is this question, who should go fight Goliath? Whose job is it? Who's, who's the rightful right person, the right man for this, this battle. Because nobody is stepping forward. Uh, you can imagine the conversations going on on the Israelite side. You know, morning after morning, they're getting up, and here comes Goliath, and he's taunting them. And, you know, at least some of those conversations must have gone like this. Well, I, I, I was planning on fighting Goliath. I was going to go down there today, but you know, I just... You know, I just woke up with a big crick in my neck this morning. Maybe, maybe tomorrow I'll feel a little better. You know, all these kind of excuses, these little, these little water, water cooler kind of conversations going on. Yeah, maybe, maybe tomorrow. No one's stepping up. Uh, it's too bad they didn't have someone who rightfully should have gone down there to face the giant. 
Oh, but wait, they, they actually did have someone who rightfully should have gone down and faced a giant. They, they did have such a man. If you flip back a few chapters in your Bible, back in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 19 through 20, uh, there's this story of the Israelites demanding a king from God. God, we want a king. And um, here's what they said in those verses. We want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and to fight our battles. That was the king's rightful job. When the going got tough to hop down in that valley and face that Goliath. So the Israelites are thinking, wait, 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 wait. Yeah, I, I don't need to go down there. I've got this crick in my neck, and I don't need to go down there because I, we have a king, Saul. You get down there and fight Goliath. It's your job. And Saul was a prototypical king. Remember that description of, of Saul when he was selected to be king? First uh, Samuel chapter 9 describes him. His dad's name was Kish. Kish had a son named Saul, a handsome, a young man, as could be found anywhere in Israel. And he was a head taller than anyone else. So, so tall, you, you do the lineup of soldiers, and tall was the, Saul was the one that, that was at least this much taller than everyone else. He stuck out with his height. And, and when you're facing a Goliath over nine feet tall, well, it just makes perfect sense that you're going to send down your tallest, most able soldier to fight him. Now, there is one problem to this, and if you know the, the Bible story a little bit, you know that there's, there's this problem, and that is, and we talked about the problem last week, that Saul, as king, had disobeyed God, and God rejected Saul as king, and in that rejection of Saul as king, God took his spirit from Saul. He took his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit left Saul. So there is this spiritual level to the story that is unseen to the human eye. Chapter 16, verse 7, God talks about this, this kind of this unseen layer to the story. God says, don't look at the outward appearance when you're judging who should rightfully go down to fight Goliath. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And God knows Saul's heart, and he is not God's chosen man to go face Goliath. And, 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 and quite honestly, I believe Saul is perfectly content with that. Um, because uh, who does Saul think should go face Goliath? Well, not himself. Verse 11 from our story, on hearing... The Philistines' words, Saul, Saul, not just the Israelites, but Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and were terrified. So Saul doesn't even think he should be the one going down into that, to that valley. So the tension of the story comes when Israel realizes, oh, we need a hero. He's not here right now. Up on the scene. And David fits none of the criteria for a model soldier. He's young. He's really young. He's, he's, he's too young to be in the army. He's probably a mid-teenager. 
just old enough for his dad to say, hey, yeah, go travel out and go check on your brothers. Has he ever picked up a sword? Likely not. His brothers think that he's, he's a twerp. I mean, he's the youngest of the brothers. And what, are, what do the older brothers do to their younger brother? Well, it's kind of the, the past, right? And, um, and, and David's, you know, if this were a football game, David would be like the water boy. You know, all the, all the football players are out lining up for the game, and here, here's the water, water boy, go fill up our water bottles. You know, that's, that's David. So they're, they're not treating him seriously at all as a warrior. Uh, his older brother, Eliab, shames David. I know why you came out here. You came out here just to watch this battle, right? I know. And it's kind of funny because David may have said, what battle? I don't see a battle going on. I see a bunch of soldiers just standing up here, kind of scared. Just, what battle are you talking about? There's nothing going on out here. Goliath steps out for his morning taunt. David hears it, and he reacts differently than everyone else. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? That he should defy the armies of the living God. Now, what what does David mean when he says the living God? Why not just God? He says the living God. Well, he's, he's meaning that God is active in human affairs. He's, he's saying something to his fellow Israelites. I expect God to do something here because we are God's people. And he's the living God. That means he's going to be acting and moving for us. We're not fighting alone. God's going to be out there. He's going to be swinging the sword or something. But God's going to do something. That's what he's saying when he says the living God. Well, in answering David, the Israelites say, well, I mean, here's, here's a story about Goliath. He, he's this giant. He comes out every morning, every evening, and yeah, well, you know, you heard what he said. He, he says that. And David says, oh, well, I'll go fight him. Y'all are just standing around. I'll go fight him. Okay, now, from the Israelite point of view, that is a bad idea. The Israelite soldiers think that's a bad idea. Saul himself said that's a bad idea. David, you're a boy. You are the wrong man for this job. Even Goliath thinks, oh, come on. Can you send out a a real man to fight me here? Even Goliath thinks that David's not the right man for the job. Everyone's looking at outward appearances, but God looks at the heart. And when he chose David to be king, he was looking at the heart of David that trusts in the Lord. In chapter 16, one chapter before this, says that, that God gave David his spirit. So his spirit is no longer with Saul. He gives David his Holy Spirit. And David says... Yeah, you think it's a bad job, but I'll be okay because God has always been faithful to me. You know, whenever I've been taking care of my sheep, I, listen, I faced bears, I faced lions, I've gone after them. I've grabbed them by the hair. I've wrestled with them. And 
I should have died, but I didn't because God was there protecting me. And it won't be any different here. Now, I want you to know something. David is not acting like this is going to be some cakewalk. He's not thinking that. He's not thinking, I'm going to go down there and then, yeah, I mean, it's going to be like, you know, Goliath and I will have a couple of cups of coffee and just talk this thing through, you know. He knows he's, he's, he's going to be facing a battle. So faith says, listen, faith does not say, faith doesn't say, God will never put me in the valley of the shadow of death. Faith says, I might be in the shadow, the valley of the shadow of death. I might walk through that valley, but I will fear no evil, for God is with me. Faith sees things at a different level, a spiritual level, trusting God is with me. And, and even this, God may have put me here in this valley of the shadow of death so that he can now glorify his name. And that's what David is expecting to happen, that God will glorify his own name. Isn't that what David says? Look at verse 45. David said to Goliath, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And verse 46, This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and to the wild animals, and the whole world will know that, what, that I am an awesome warrior, that I am the great warrior? No, he doesn't say that. He says, the world will know that you, God, are the great warrior. Everyone will know that there is a God in Israel. Verse 47, All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. So let's, let's, let's think through who, who should be rightfully going to face Goliath again. How, how are the different people viewing this battle? Well, Goliath sees this as a battle of size and strength, and therefore there's, there's no one who will be able to match either of those with him. And when he sees David, he's like, why did you send that little boy out to fight, to fight me? Israelites see it as a hopeless battle. <laughs> There's no one around who can go. Saul, even the, the, the tallest of the Israelites, he's scared to death. He doesn't want to go down there. But David sees this so much different than everyone else. This, this is a battle for God's honor. But he knows, I don't have to win this because God is going to win this. God's going to step down into that valley and fight. Battle. Don't look at outward appearances. I'm going to choose the right man with a right heart and the right spirit to go down there. Someone full of faith. Someone who is willing to put his life on the line for my people. Now, if we think about the story, it seems easy for the Israelite army because David is the right man to go into the valley for them. They just stand up on that hill, watch David do his thing. But 
but is David the right man for us today to go into the valley of the shadow of death for us? Is David the right man to do that for us? Well, of course not. I mean, David lived 3,000 years ago. David's bones, they're in the ground by now. If David's not around today to, to fight that battle, you know, the temptation uh, may be to think about the story, well, I, I, I can have the heart like David. I can be like David. I just need to have faith. I need to, to get on down in that valley and face the giants with a courage just like David. And all I need to do, just faith, belief, down in that valley, if I do all that, I will be victorious. So let me ask you, is that the good news? Is that the good news of this story? That if I believe just like David, if I have courage just like David, I can hop down and whoo, 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 sling, sling, sling. Well, that might be the good news. If the Bible is primarily about you being awesome. If the Bible is primarily about you doing amazing things, then that might be the good news. But that is not what the Bible is about. You see, the entire Bible, the the story of the Bible, we're going through the story of the Bible this year. The story of the Bible is all about the good news, not of you, not of me, but of Jesus Christ and what he accomplished for us and the victory that Jesus Christ achieves for us. And so in this story, David, yeah, he's the chosen man in that day to go down that valley and face Goliath, but he's just, he's just pointing. He's just pointing. David is just pointing to the true chosen man of God. So I want to give just a few thoughts for us as we, as we wrap up. One, the key to your battle is trust in the right true warrior. That true warrior is not David. That true warrior is not yourself. The key to really understanding why this story of David and Goliath is in the Bible is to understand that David points to the true warrior who will climb down into the valley for us, the true king who will lead us in our battles. You know, one of the, one of the details of this story that is, that is often mentioned um, is how David is authentic, his authentic self when he faces Goliath. And he is. This is a good point. David is his authentic self. You know, he puts on Saul's armor. armor. Saul's armor, is a, it's just, you know, slopping around on David. He's much too small for it, so he says, nah, I'm not used to this. Takes off Saul's armor. He's his true authentic self. And, and how does David defeat Goliath? Well, it's with his sling and his stone, right? He only needed one stone. He got five, but he only needed one stone. Why is David so good with slings and stones? Because that's what he uses as a shepherd. I mean, he's used to that. These are David's weapons from being a shepherd. He killed with a sling and stone. You know, the description of Goliath's armor at the beginning of this chapter makes it really clear that you're not going to kill him with a sword or a spear. His armor is like 125 pounds, his armor. I mean, you're not going to just bang a sword against that and kill Goliath. You're not going to kill Goliath like that. How are you going to kill Goliath? The only way that you can kill Goliath is like from a distance with a high-velocity projectile aimed at his head or his 
face or something like that where his helmet doesn't fully cover it. That's the only way that Goliath's going down, and that's exactly what David is skilled at using those high-velocity projectiles. I mean, that's exactly what David does. David is the right man for this job. Now, one of the typical applications we hear from this story is, well, by, by David being his, his, his true self and not anybody else, that's how we kill Goliath. And so all we have to do is we have to be our true selves, be, be your true self when you're facing your giant and use your natural gifts and your strengths and don't put on anyone else's armor. Just do what you do best and you, of course, trust in God and you'll get through it. You know, that's not a bad idea. That's not a bad thought. It's just not the point of this story in the Bible. That's not the point of the story of David and Goliath. The point of David and Goliath is the right person, God's chosen man, has stepped down into the valley for us to fight the enemy. David, of course, points to the true man of God, the only and perfect man who could fight against our real enemies, the forces of evil, the devil, the power of sin. So who is that man? You ask who that may be. How's the hymn go? Christ Jesus, it is he. Christ, the perfect warrior. He is the one who has God's spirit without limit. He is the one who fully trusted in God his Father. He was the one who was willing to lay down his life for us to go into the deep valley of the shadow of death, not just battling a giant, but battling death itself and rising victoriously. And then, and then just to, to hand that victory over to us. That's the true warrior. And that is why this story is in the Bible. That's why there's this ridiculous description of, of Goliath portraying him as the threat that no one, no mortal man would be able to defeat. So that we would know that the Lord has already stepped in the pit for us. And he's already fought the battle that saves the day. But I think we can think something in addition to that as well, as we think about Christ descending into that valley for us. Second point, the true warrior understands your weakness. See, the, I was thinking about this. The story would have had, um, a, you know, if the ending were different, if it, just, it could have been still very satisfying, but, but a little different if, you know, if, and kind of we, we might have, you know, kind of Hollywood wanted this ending, like, you know, Goliath out there in the valley, Who's going to come down and fight for us? And all the Israelites are shaking in the boot, their boots. And then, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, cue the, the laser light show. And now in, in the corner of the Israelites, standing at 10 feet, 6 inches tall, at a weight of 600 pounds of pure muscle is Samsonite. And then just, you know, this Hulk comes down and kind of winks at the Israelites and tumbles down the valley and just kind of mops up with Goliath. Well, that, that would have been the kind of the Hollywood ending, and we'd be like, "Woo, that's that's great." But if that had been the ending, we wouldn't have really been able to identify or associate with that hero, 
And that hero really wouldn't have been able to identify or associate with us. I mean, he, you know, that's, that's some man from another planet or galaxy coming in. And what does he know about being a human? But David is like one of us. And the one that he pointed to was born as one of us. So when, when Christ, the point is when Christ descended in that valley, he, he, he knew, he knows, knew then when he went to the cross exactly what you're going through. When he, when he fought that, that, that battle, when he stepped in and saved the day, he knew exactly what you're going through. You, know, you read the stories of Jesus in the Bible and you realize that he experienced everything that we have experienced so that we can know that Jesus knew everything about what you're going through when you step down into that valley. You know, if you are lonely because you have been rejected, well, let me tell you, Jesus was rejected throughout his life. If you are fear- filled with worry and dread right now, do you know that, that Jesus, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, love this description from the Gospel of Luke, not because it's a heartwarming description of Jesus. It just shows that he really knows what we're going through. You look right at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, verse 44. It says that Jesus, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he died, he was filled with such dread. So much so in anguish that, that his sweat was like drops of blood hitting the and an angel had to come and strengthen him. That's Jesus knowing exactly what we go through in life. If you face sickness and disease, Jesus' body was broken and beaten and bloodied as he hung on the cross. Yeah, Jesus knows what it is like to have a body that is sick and broken. The Bible says that Jesus was poor. He was homeless at times. He was thought of as a failure. His family rejected him. He grieved. He was tempted in every way that we have been tempted. Whatever you have gone through, Jesus went through as well. So when he stepped down to that valley, for you, you can know that he had you in mind. He really had you in your battles in mind. He didn't go down there thinking, well, this is going to be a piece of cake. No, he took all of our suffering down there in that valley, and he defeated the ultimate cause of our battle. Death, evil, the devil. And, and third, fight in a battle that is already won. I mean, if there's any battle that the Israelite army participated in in the story, it's, it's not, not the heat of the battle. That was David. It's the mop-up battle. It's, whoo, their champion is dead. Let's go mop up. And they ran after the, the Philistines, the Israelites did, and they just mopped up the battle. So, 
fighting a battle that is already won. Know that Jesus has already won the battle. He's, he's, he's done the, the heat of the day fighting. And, and we have our daily battles that we go through. But this story helps us to see this, this spiritual, that, that Jesus has already defeated our spiritual enemies. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15 says, Having disarmed the powers and authorities, Christ, Jesus Christ, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Not he went on this process of triumphing over them. He triumphed over them. The battle has already been won. You know, do the Israelites have to worry, ooh, maybe the tides will turn against us all of a sudden? No, 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 of course not, because Goliath was dead. And you know what? You can go through life with the same assurance that when you trust in Jesus Christ by believing that he is God's son, God's chosen champion, by, by trusting that God's chosen champion Christ has already achieved victory over Satan, over evil, over the power of your sin, the promise is that Jesus hands that victory to you just right now. It's yours. The victory, it's yours. And you do not have to worry that the evils of this world will overcome you and get you in the end because your champion has already won. And you have a champion today that will never leave you, never forsake you. Now let's take a moment and think about that. I want you to think, am I trusting in the right warrior, Jesus? Is that really where the foundation of my trust is? It's in him And do I know, do I really know that Jesus knows these smaller battles that I face now? Yes, he does. Do I know that? That he really knows what I'm going through. And that I can turn to him and trust him in this moment. Think about that. And do I really know, do I really trust that he's already won me the victory? So I don't have to. So I don't have to be afraid. Let's let God's Spirit speak to our hearts, just for a moment, as we pray to God. God, thank you for sending us your champion, Christ our Savior, our true warrior. As we think of the battle ahead, help us to remember the battle that he has already fought and won. That everything that we face now, it's, it's, it's mop-up. We have the victory. We are assured of your love and your presence that will never go away. You're always with us. Your spirit resides within us. You will not leave us. And so we're just mopping up. And yeah, there may be difficulties. But help us to remember that the same Christ who defeated death is the same Christ who lives with us today. Lord, we reach out to you in this moment. Trust in you. If you have never reached out to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can do that right now. 
and said, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Come into my heart. May your spirit live within me. I want to be on your side. You can do that right now, and he will come into your life and never leave you and never forsake you. He'll forgive all of your sins. Lord, we trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.